Welcome to Houston Sports Talk with your host, Robert Land. Thanks for listening to the best Houston sports podcast and joining me as my co-host and regular sidekick, a fellow H-Town sports junkie and longtime journalist, Stephen Kerr. And Stephen, last week I ripped into Nick Casario for his terrible draft, but the beauty of the Texans is they screw up so many things, you forget some of them, which I did. <laughs> what did you forget, Robert? And, and, and don't feel bad. Because uh, you and a whole host of others, I mean, you're you're basically joining the crowd, right? Yeah, and and by the way, you know, we're going to get to the Astros later in the show because I know a lot of good stuff going on over there. Sort of a mixed bag this week, but Casario traded three draft picks to pick Garrett Wallow in the fifth round, and of course, I had issues with Nico Collins for three draft choices, and I had issues with Davis Mills in the third round. And on and on and on. But this one, I, I, so many, I just, I lost track of it. Steven, who trades three draft picks for a fifth round pick? Unless they're all like seventh round picks or something like that. It's just total insanity. Well, no one, unless you're with the Texans. I, I think that's the deciding factor is, yeah, Nick Casario, you know, he was with the Patriots all those years. You'd think he would have learned something. But no, when he goes to the Texans, uh, it, it seems like they, they have a different water cooler or something. Because once you drink that water, it's strange things happen. But yeah, I know it. It raised my eyebrows. Why? Why would you pay? Are you really that high on this guy? Um, I don't know. Again, it's just one of those wait and see things. He may look like a genius in a year or two, or he'll look like the goat that we think he is right now, Robert. That's. I guess that's about all I can say about that. Yeah, just I want to get into philosophy in just a second. But I remind everybody that in our last podcast, I had three guests on the show who were experts sort of insiders on the three Texans draft choices. And I'm talking about Davis Mills, Brevin Jordan, and Roy Lopez. In our next show, in a couple of days, you're going to hear from insiders on wide receiver Nick Collins and the aforementioned Garrett Wallow. And maybe I'll be more excited after <laughs> that. But Stephen, after these conversations, you feel maybe a little bit more hope when you talk to some of these guys about the picks because – we can be critical of Casario's draft strategy, which we are a lot. But if these guys turn into real players, then Casario is going to be lauded for this draft, no matter what. Well, that's exactly right, Robert. And and look, I I, I try to remain the optimist about almost anything. And I, I have to feel like at least one of these guys, maybe even two, can actually surprise us, you know, come through and, and actually contribute something, whether it's, you know, this coming season or a season or two from now, uh, I have to tell you, and, and you and I talked about this offline, I think after you had the guy from Stanford, what was his name, Troy? Yeah, Troy Clarity, yeah. When you had him on, you told me afterwards, before I'd had a chance to listen to the podcast, uh, that he was uh, really being the salesman, and, and he, he almost had you sold on Davis Mills. And after listening to it myself, I got to say, the guy should be in sales, because uh, he certainly had me feeling more positive. I mean, Look, he may have command of an offense and a huddle. He talked about that a lot. Seems to have the leadership qualities that, that you need that are important. But, of course, the big question is, can he really play in the NFL? Um, the big thing for me, Robert, though, is, you know, unless it had been Trevor Lawrence or one of the top, you know, two or three quarterbacks that were picked in the first round, let's face it, anybody who comes in here and tries to replace Deshaun and I think it's safe to say that, you know, Deshaun has played his last game with the Texans. 
anybody who's going to come in here is going to fall short in the eyes of the Texans fans. The only way that can be cured is if he wins. And that's the situation with Davis Mills coming in. Stanford's had a lot of good NFL quarterbacks, and we got into that a little bit with him. And the quote that he had that just blew me away was when he said Davis Mills is the most accurate quarterback to come out of Stanford. That includes our guy here in Houston, our Stratford guy, Andrew Luck. Yeah, that did raise my eyebrows too. I think he, what he was saying is the, the most accurate passer is what he said. And yeah, they, they've certainly had, uh, you know, Andrew Luck being the most recent famous name, John Elway, Jim Plunkett. You know, you can point to those two guys from, you know, the, the 80s and 70s. So yeah, the best pure passer, well, all right. Uh, <laughs> that remains to be seen. I, I know we, we talk about his mobility and I, I think, Troy kind of downplayed the fact that he isn't the most mobile quarterback, that maybe his best qualities are in the pocket. So, you know, but but the fact that he made that statement, I mean, this is a guy that's covered him. Uh, but again, can he do that in the NFL? You can throw, I think he even said himself, you, you can throw the ball in air all day long, but when you've got NFL linemen rushing you, it's a whole different story. And of course, the experience level, only playing 11 games, that, that's going to be talked about a lot. So Davis Mills, you know, there's a lot on him. He's going to have to come in and prove himself. And again, he's going to be trying to replace, whether it's immediately or in the future, a guy like Deshaun Watson, who, uh, you know, up until recently could do no wrong in the eyes of Texans fans. There's some shoulder issues also with Davis Mills, as he talked about. And you can go, well, that led to him dropping down to the eighth quarterback in this draft. But this was a guy that was the number one quarterback coming out of high school. So there was that type of potential. He was a prodigy, you know, all of those things. And so if you're the Texans and you can luck out with the shoulder and, you know, everybody thought Peyton Manning's career was over with after the Colts and, the, and his injury to his shoulder. And you go, well, that's it. And then he throws 50 touchdowns. He wins a Super Bowl. And then he wins another Super I mean, he gets to a Super Bowl, wins another Super Bowl. I mean, of course, he was bad the year he, he, he won the second Super Bowl, but still, he was an MVP after the shoulder, and that, that's you're going to hope for you know, something akin to what Manning did and his ability to come back from an injury like that, and you know, hopefully this is a yet much younger kid. It's much easier to bounce back. Well, a lot of that, honestly, Robert, is, is on the mental side of things. How hard is he willing to work and, and to train and, and rehab the right way that he needs to, to get that shoulder back in shape? And, and you certainly hope. That with time, and, and I don't know that Davis Mills is a guy that you're going to throw in there right away, so maybe that's a good thing. You know, maybe he can sit and observe for a little bit. If Tyrod Taylor can stay healthy and, and just watch things and develop not, not just the mental side of the NFL game, but physically, that's going to be the key is, you know, how hard is he going to be willing to work, to put in the time to get that shoulder where it, it is going to be okay. It's not going to be a question mark. I think that that's as much as the physical work that he's obviously going to have to put in to be in NFL shape. I want to go back to the Casario and what he did with the draft and my objection with him, because it's about an awful job of playing the odds. That's really what I'm talking about. If you go to Vegas and you hit on 20 at the blackjack table over and over again, you're going to get an ace every now and then you might win once or twice, but it doesn't mean you played the odds right. And over the long run, you get burned. So drafting the eighth best quarterback in the draft, 
isn't playing your cards right. Trading two fourths and a fifth for a third round pick isn't the play. I mean, that's bad value. Trading three picks for a fifth round undersized linebacker is begging for bankruptcy. If you're at the, you know, whatever, if you're at the New York, New York or the MGM or something like that (laughs) in Vegas. And Steven, you and I, we don't pretend to be NFL scouts, but we can definitely understand draft value and connect moves to what we've seen historically. And you and I have seen a lot of history with the draft. I mean, you and I have what, you know, close to a century of watching draft picks. Yeah, that's right, Robert. And uh, all I can say is, you know, if you're going to hit on 20 every time, then you better have a lot of money ready to to lose uh, or you can afford to lose it because uh, that's exactly what would happen to me. Uh, yeah, I, you know, again, it's it's about to me, I kind of compare the draft almost to college recruiting. You know, a lot of these guys, you're going to you're, you're taking a flyer out on these guys. And it's the same with the NFL draft. It, it's a hit and miss proposition. And the problem is, you know, with Nick Casario, yeah, he was with the Patriots, but we all know he wasn't the final decision maker. So it's his first draft. You know, a year from now, we can sit and punch holes in it or, or say, wow, it was a great draft after all. But there's just so much unknown right now that all we can do is sit here and kind of scratch our head at some of these picks. You know, trading three picks for a fifth rounder, taking a flyer on a guy who's only had 11 games of experience in college and, and just hoping, you know, that one of these two or both are going to pan out. I, I don't, you know, it's certainly all five guys the Texans drafted are not going to pan out, I don't think. But, man, you you just, you've got to hope that right now he knows what he's doing. But right now you and I, Robert, are just saying, hmm, what is this guy thinking? What we thought, Stephen, was that he would go, you know what? The Texans need more picks, and and that's really the play in the NFL. If you look at the analytics guys and what they have said, they say, how do you win the NFL draft? Get the most picks, get the most grabs at the apple barrel that you can, and you're going to hit some of them. You're going to miss some of them. The percentage is usually about the same for everybody, but it's the more chances that you get. The last thing I figured was Nick Casario that came from the Patriots that tended to trade down over the years would go, hey, let's trade up. Let's put three guys in for this one guy, three for one, three for one. He did that a couple of different times, and that's what really dumbfounds me. And, and boy, it's just like I, I felt that that was the last thing I really had to worry about with Casario and his Patriots lineage and what they had done over there. Well, and and that's especially true, Robert, when you consider the Texans didn't even have a pick in the first and second round. I mean, wouldn't you at least want some of those middle round picks that, you know, maybe you'll hit on somebody like that. But that that was the big thing for me is why you trade three picks for a fifth rounder, especially when you've got no picks at all in the first two rounds. And, you know, a lot's going to depend in the future on what's going to happen with Deshaun once they do trade him, what are they going to get for him? There's just so many unknowns. I guess you know my biggest question is, why would you do that right now in your first draft? What I also find a little strange about Casario's strategy this offseason was how he loaded up the Texans roster on borderline back-end roster talent and free agency instead of loading up the back-end with undrafted free agents from this year's draft. That's the reasoning that is a little bit weird for me also because, you know, he said, well, I couldn't scout the talent like I usually could with COVID restrictions, but you can still 
evaluate game film, which I still believe is the most valuable information, Stephen. You can have conversations with players and coaches, too, which is important if you're going to find out who these guys are. That's a phone call away. And most importantly, you can use this situation to your advantage because maybe more good players fall through the cracks of the draft this year than in a normal year, right? Right. Well, first of all, I mean, every NFL team has that disadvantage. You know, the the COVID situation has changed everybody's way of preparing for the draft and scouting. And, And like you said, you know, game film is really what they've relied on for all these years. So I'm not sure I understand that way of thinking of, you know, hasn't had the the ability to scout players the way you do. Well, nobody in the NFL has for this past year because of COVID. So I'm not sure where where he's going there, Robert. So last week I mentioned a bunch of local players who got drafted. I know I'd miss somebody obvious, and I did. Uh, Forgot about Atascacita and UT Longhorn offensive tackle Sam Cosby, local kid, you know, obviously went went to the Longhorns as well. When he was drafted in the second round by Washington, uh, those horns drafted up high are dwindling over the years, Stephen. So I'm sure you know you as a Horns fan appreciated that. Yeah, I certainly did, and it was also good to see another Sam. You know, get drafted even in the later rounds. I, I was pleased to that because I wasn't sure Sam Ellinger was going to get picked. You know, he's had some injury issues, and and I'm just not sold on him. As an NFL quarterback, sure, he had success at UT, but, you know, UT hasn't exactly, they haven't been in the top of the draft classes with quarterbacks, uh, you know, Colt McCoy being the last one before Ellinger, and Colt, you know, he's not a starter, he's a backup at best, so, yeah, it was good to see some guys like Sam Cosme, you know, going as as high as he did uh, from the Longhorns, and you're just hoping that in the next few years, maybe we can see some more players out of that school and and even across the state as far as high draft picks are concerned. Yeah, you mentioned Sam Ellinger. What a sad story that was this week, too. Yeah, with his younger brother, Jake, for those who don't know, Jake Ellinger, uh, who was a redshirt sophomore linebacker uh, for the Longhorns this past year. He was found dead on campus last week. We don't have a lot of details. You know, from from what I've picked up, it, it doesn't sound like it involved foul play. So, you know, I guess it's good in that respect. But, yeah, that that took a lot of people by surprise. You know, only a sophomore and uh, the younger brother of Sam Ellinger. Just, you know, you just you have to feel for the whole Ellinger family. You talk about a, a mixed emotions bag there. You know, their older son gets drafted by the Colts. So uh, Texans fans may be seeing a lot of <laughs> Sam Ellinger, depending on how he is. But, you know, and then in the same week, you know, their younger son, Jake, dies. So, yeah, very tragic indeed. The thing about that is just not only the fact that here you are, Sam Ellinger, you finally get your NFL dream, and then it's just you can't even enjoy it for more than a week or two when just the worst thing in the world happens. And then this family has also dealt with this before. They've dealt with tragedy because I believe it was when – I think it was when Sam Ellinger was 13 years old – his father died running a triathlon. Father was only maybe 46 or something right. like that. So right. the tragedy has struck this family a couple of times over the last few years. I, I can't even imagine. Yeah, I can't either, Robert. And I'll be honest, you know, just uh, getting a little personal here for a moment. Uh, you know, it just you never know. Life is so short. Uh, this past weekend, I almost lost my daughter and her whole family. They were in a car accident. Thankfully, they're okay. But, you know, it's just things like that that make you realize as much as we can sit and analyze NFL drafts and, you know, the way teams play and things, it, it really gets lost in the shuffle 
when this real thing called life comes up, and in the case of Jake Ellinger, it's it's just snatched for you before, you know, before you can even enjoy or or you know have a dream to play in the NFL, it's taken from him. And and you said it as far as Sam is concerned, you know, finally fulfilling his NFL dream, being drafted. But believe me, it it is dwarfed when something like that, when when your younger brother dies like that suddenly. That they just yeah, they, you can't compare that. Yeah, very yin and yang kind of month for for him, and you know we wish him the best, except against, of course, the Texans. But you know the right. Texans aren't going to matter, so whatever. Go ahead, Sam. Have a huge year. It's not going to matter to us at all. Do it for Jake. Do it for Jake. That's that's what you do. Yeah, definitely. Uh, kind of a mixed bag for the Astros over the past week. Three and three versus the Yankees and the Blue Jays. What grabbed you most over the last week, Stephen? Well, as far as the Yankees series, Robert, I, I hate to say it. I really wasn't that surprised at the way the Astros played in that series. I mean, we knew that they were going to get a, a very warm reception from those lovable Yankee fans, not, uh, you know, the things that the insults they hurled at Jose Altuve. I mean, we, we knew all that. I, I mean, it would have certainly been nice to have a better showing. At least they didn't get swept. But just because the biggest thing for the Astros for me right now, Robert, is I just don't think they have landed on consistency We've, we've talked a lot about the pitching, and that's a big deal. And, yeah, their lineup has gone up and down. Uh, at least Ted Williams made an appearance on Sunday. I'm sorry, Kyle Tucker made an appearance on Sunday. Right. <laughs> you know, So maybe his bat is, is warming up. It certainly needs to. And, uh, you know, Martin Maldonado showed a little bit of life after, you know, that scary collision at the plate with Rugnet Odor with the Yankees. So it was good that he bounced back. That was That was pretty scary. But yeah, consistency is is what the Astros really lack right now. You just you're not sure what they're going to bring on a day to day basis. But there are signs of hope. You know, they're not in the completely in the tank yet, and it's a long season. So uh, I think there's still hope that the Astros can at least, oh gosh, I don't know, get Houston sports out of these doldrums we've been in for the last few months. Let me ask you this: I'm watching the Yankee series, and I got to be honest with you, there is no team in baseball I hate losing to more than the Yankees not the Rangers not I never cared about the Cardinals right I just hate the Yankees I hate the Yankees Stephen well I don't think you're the only one Robert I, I'm certainly with you uh, but I'd have to put the Dodgers up there just because of the way they've reacted especially lately with this whole Astros thing but yeah the Yankees I mean gosh they won what 27 World Series you're gonna hate a team that wins that much regardless of you know whether they're good boys or bad boys. It's so, the fans though, and it's the hypocrisy it the of what's going on with the cheating. The fact that we know they were doing it, and yes. they're like yes. trying to point fingers at the Astros. Oh, see you. It's your. You're the ones that are cheating. What? Well, and and here's the other thing that gets me, Robert. Is you know Major League Baseball. It seems they protect teams like the Yankees and the Red Sox and some of these others. You know that have been talked about. But because the Astros were the first ones to get caught in this situation, uh, you know, from a recent standpoint, they're the ones who are going to get slapped around the hardest. Well, let's not forget, though, that the Yankees were caught. They just were just they just said, well, this is back in 2017. They just said, well, but don't do it again. And the Astros don't do You know, nobody do, do it again. And the Astros, I guess they just said kept doing it. But the Yankees were caught. It's just like they, they got off the hook somehow. You know? Yeah, that's well, that's what I'm saying. That That's my whole point is a team like the Yankees, oh, you're not going to punish them because, well, they're the Yankees. So, of course, yeah. And 
And that's the hypocrisy of it, Robert. And I think that's what, you know, you and I and a lot of Astros fans are, are saying is, look, I'll be the first to tell you the Astros deserved what they got. They got caught. They were arrogant about the whole thing. They deserve, absolutely deserve the jeering and the booing. I'll, I'll tell you the, the biggest relief I had is that the fans didn't start throwing things on the field and, you know, bottles and things. I, I was fully expecting almost anything like that to happen. So at least it wasn't that the case. But yeah, the Yankees fans, I mean, come on. Fans can say what they want. Obviously, they pay their ticket. But really, <laughs> the the whole thing of, uh, you know, you guys did this, you guys did that. Well, you guys, Yankees fans, you know, your team is not exempt from it either. Yeah, I just, I just they annoy me. Um, let, let's get to some of the Astros stuff, though, because a couple different things that I've got for us. Maybe the two most dangerous hitters in baseball right now are Jordan Alvarez and anybody facing Joe Smith. <laughs> Jordan is hitting 362, where I mean, we're going to get into him, but the league is hitting 391, Stephen, off Joe Smith. 391. Yeah, and I'm honestly, Robert, I'm I'm a bit surprised. I mean, I know he missed 2020. You know, he he opted out, and and that's certainly understandable. You know, it's everybody was it was everyone's right to do that last year. I I honestly thought, you know, he had a little brief flurry a couple of weeks ago where I thought, oh, maybe the real the the good Joe Smith is coming out of it. But man, he just hasn't so far. And, and if there's anything the Astros need right now is some consistency and solidity at the back end of their bullpen. And Joe Smith is just not providing it right now. He was on my radar as one of the guys who could, you know, because he has that experience, who could come in and do that, especially with a lot of these younger guys around him. So it's, yeah, it's, it's pretty sad that Joe Smith just isn't able to do that right at this well, point. What's also sad, though, is Dusty Baker thinks he's got to pitch him every other game for some reason. And, and Biggs, did you, I don't understand that. Joe Smith is your worst reliever right now. You don't have to pitch him every single game. He's pitching uh, probably 14, I think, out of 34 games or something. I mean, it's a lot. It's a lot for a guy that's been terrible the whole year. There's been no sign of him getting out of it. Well, and I know he's trying to put him in different situations, hoping he can you know, strike some fire. But it, it obviously, as, as you said, Robert, it's just not happening. So at some point, you got to pull the plug. I, I'm just not sure for on Dusty's behalf. I'm not sure when that's going to be. Let's go to Jordan. Let's go to Peggy Positive over here because this guy has played now 162 games in his career. And I already believe, and you can disagree with me, Stephen, but I kind of think he's the best hitter in baseball not named Mike Trout. Well, it's hard to argue. I mean, you know, still a fairly short sample size, but gosh, it's hard to argue. And don't forget, you know, he hardly played in 2020, even in a short season, just because of the knees and things like that. And and, and I think we even said, Robert, if, if he could get those knees healthy and, and play most of a full season year after year, this guy's going to be one of the greatest players in baseball history, at least from an offensive standpoint. And, you know, it's taken him a while to heat up, you know, coming back from the health and safety protocols. He's been on that a couple of different times. We were kind of scratching our head with that. But, man, he's settling into a groove. Boy, do the Astros need it right now. Right. And the other thing is, if you compare him and Albert Pujols through their first 115 games, this is how good this guy has been. Jordan has a better OPS, more home runs, and more RBIs. And, Stephen, think about it. It's worth noting that Jordan is a DH. So in those 115 games, 
he had to pinch hit some of the time, which means he probably doesn't have the same number of at-bats as Pujols. I mean, I, I would have done more homework for you and figured it out, but I'm guessing, you know, because of being in the American League that, you know, Jordan doesn't have nearly as many at-bats. So that's really remarkable. And, geez, remember how Albert Pujols just came out and you're like, this guy's like a – he's like already the best hitter in baseball and he's 20 or 21 years old when he, when he started up. Yeah, that's very true. And, uh, of course, now Pujols is, at, at least at the time we're recording this, looking for a new job. Uh, but, but well, yeah, it's as highly touted as he was when he came out. And uh, Astros fans are certainly familiar with how great Albert Pujols is, unfortunately. You talk about probably the, the, the best or, in Astros' case, worst Astros killer there is. Uh, that would be Albert Pujols. So you can draw some comparisons to the two. And, uh, obviously, it's still early on. But, boy, if, if Alvarez can just stay healthy, and right now those knees look pretty good. And, you know, he's been running the bases really well, and that's one way you can tell that uh, they must be doing okay. If they can just hold up, oh, this guy's going to be such a wonderful player to watch. I mean, I still, when he first came out, Robert, I think we all, every time he came up to bat, I don't care what we were doing, we would drop it and watch Jordan Alvarez. Well, I'm still doing that. Every time he comes to bat, I, I quit doing whatever it is. I, you know, I walk back in the room because I want to see what this guy does. That's the kind of, you know, the hitter that he is. And, and just with all the, the hype and what he's done, that's what we're going to see, hopefully, for a long time. You, you kind of brush through that, like, real easily. Like, oh, Albert Pujols doesn't look like he's going to play. Hey, he's not playing with anybody. Who wants a 200 hitter that's a DH or first baseman at this point in his career the best news that happened this week, Stephen, is we don't have to watch Albert Pujols kill the Astros anymore. That's over with. You know, the witch is dead. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I, I'm pretty confident of that. But you know how many times, Robert, we've recorded something, and then 10 minutes later, somebody takes a flyer on him. I, I don't see it, though. I mean, he hasn't really been productive since, what, 2016, if that. And certainly even when he went to the Angels, uh, you know, a number of years ago after the Cardinals— He's had some flashes with them, but certainly not the success he had when he was with the Cardinals, and that was many years ago. I've got five under-the-radar positives this week for the Astros. Number one, Ryan Stanek. I don't think we're talking about him enough because 1.76 ERA, 0.78 whip. We just talked about the bullpen, Stephen. Where would they be without Ryan Stanek? Oh, I don't even want to think about it, Robert, because you look at some of the off-season signees or even early-season ones, if you throw Jake Odorizzi in there, Pedro Baez, you know, Odorizzi's hardly pitched, and he wasn't effective. Baez hasn't pitched at all. So Ryan Stanek is absolutely the best signing the Astros had during this off-season, certainly from a pitching standpoint. Yeah, this, the bullpen overall, you know, look at all the stats and how bad it is. You take Ryan Stanek out of there, uh, it, the stratosphere couldn't even hold it, I don't think, of how bad this bullpen would be. Because, I mean, this guy is obviously the ace of the bullpen right now. Number two, Andre Scrub. How huge is it to have Scrub pitching again? I thought, you know, he got lost in the shuffle a little bit with all the good stories last year. Steven, he struggled with control his first two outings back, two walks in each, but what a dazzling one, two, three on Sunday. He appears to be gaining momentum as he gets more outings out. Yeah, and that's certainly good because, you know, with these young guys, Robert, as we've said before, we just don't know how they're going to fare from last year 
you know, were they a flash in the pan or are they really something? And it's good to see that Andre Scrub, you know, the good thing is you can put him in some tough situations and he seems to thrive. So, yeah, I'm glad that uh, he's come back from his injury. It's been a little shaky at first, but you would expect that. But, uh, boy, at least right now, he's another bright spot in that bullpen, which really needs it. Third under the radar positive, Aledmus Diaz. When he's healthy, he's the perfect utility player. Plays pretty much every position except center field and catcher. Rock solid 273 average right now with a 742 OPS. Well, you know, it's interesting, Robert. I've seen a couple of articles this past week in a couple of different places, you know, to, uh, stating the case that uh, perhaps Aledmus Diaz should play more. Uh, you know, the, the question is, you know, where are you going to put him? He's not going to replace Carlos Correa or Alex Bregman, you know, and, unless there's an injury. And, and the biggest thing, you know, for him being an everyday player is I just don't think he has the durability to do that. But you need a guy like that coming off your bench who can spot start, who can come in maybe in the late innings, pinch hit, things like that. I mean, I just think he's he's got the perfect role with the Astros, and it's certainly sorely needed, you know, especially so far this season. When they're playing every day, you you, you got a let Miss Diaz that might be playing just about every day because, you know, he comes in one day for Yuli to give him a blow, one day for Altuve, one day for Correa, one day for Bregman, one day for Brantley. I mean, Tucker, you name it. So one thing, I, you know, one thing I don't understand, Stephen, why isn't there – uh, a utility man of the year in baseball like you know the nba has six man of the year shouldn't baseball have like a utility man of the year that that would be you know kind of a little something extra to talk about each year and those guys are important well they certainly are i mean you know think of how many guys the astros have had you know over the years and marwin gonzalez being the most recent example that you can point to and say man without this guy would they have won all the games they've won or, you know, with, without Marwin, would they have won the World Series in 2017? So, that, yeah, it's a great case. And it's funny you mentioned that. I, I can't remember which one of the articles I read, but they, they kind of said the same thing is, you know, it, they compared him to, say, a sixth man in, in the NBA. Uh, I don't know what you'd call it. You know, the 10th the man, I guess. <laughs> I don't know. Something like that. Uh, so maybe you and I need to get on the lobbying horn, Robert, and, you know, call some of these writers that we know, baseball writers that, have some influence that maybe can put in a word for us and get that going. Baseball people love awards too. You know, they that. do, they do. They love awards about as much as they love their stats. Cause they keep adding statistics every year that I've never heard of. So why not add another award? It wouldn't hurt anybody. Number four, under the radar positive. This guy is not under the radar. Yuli Guriel I'm talking about, but of course he's raking like 333, 959 OPS, the whole thing. He's, you know, killing it. What is under the radar, though, I think a little bit, Stephen, and, and the, you know, I, I know you diehards noticed this, but Yuli's reinvented his game in his late 30s. He's a different guy because in 33 games, Yuli has 17 walks. That's a pace for close to 85 walks this year. His best year as an Astro, Stephen, was 37 walks. His best year was 37. His second best year, 23 walks. He's almost there. I think, yeah, absolutely. I think with any great hitter, yeah, I think what sets the greatest hitters apart from the good and the average is, you know, your patience at the plate. If you can learn to draw more walks, I mean, the big thing is you got to get on base. If you get on base, it helps the rest of the team. It helps the guys coming up after you. And I think, Robert, you and I were as surprised as anyone last year when we just saw 
how much Yuli Gurriel was was scuffling through the whole season, especially or especially in the postseason. It was oh, it was brutal to watch. And I mean, I even said this is just not Yuli Gurriel. I know he's getting up there; he's in his thirties, but he surely he hasn't slowed down that much. Well, obviously in the off season, you know, he took some time and, as you said, reinvented the way he's hitting at the plate and the walks. I just think that's a big difference because you know that it changes the way how these pitchers are pitching to him. And I tell you what, I've said this more than once, but every time that Jordan Alvarez is in the lineup and Yuli's batting after him, Yuli seems to do great. So you keep that going and put all that together. And that's, we have the Yuli Gurriel that I think we've been used to seeing, except from the postseason last year. My fifth under-the-radar positive from this week is the Astros hit the 85% vaccination threshold to loosen health and safety protocols. So this week, Astros players and staff won't have to wear a mask in the dugout or bullpen. They can also leave the hotel on the road. And then there's just the basic stuff of like the intake uh, measures and things like that, that it allows for them to do. So, boy, that's that's a big one, Stephen. Well, you know what? I th- you may have just saved the best one for last, Robert, because, you know, without all that, uh, the rest of it doesn't matter. Because with COVID, you, you just don't know from day to day what's going to happen. I guess the, the biggest surprise for me, and I'm sure there's somebody else in the know who, you know, knows more about this than me, but I, I wondered what took so long to get to that 85% threshold, because we know that they at least got their first vaccinations. Many of them did right before the season started. I think it was late March, the first part of April. So, yeah, uh, that is a big thing right there, because from an overall team standpoint, that's going to help everyone. Well, the Rockets and the Texans are kind of the crap sandwich. They're the bread where you have the the good stuff is right in the middle with the Astros. So I'm going to get to the bottom half of the of the sandwich here and the Rockets because, you know, they continue to be the Rockets this week. Also secured one of the three worst records in the NBA. So that's the good news. They'll have the best chance at keeping the high lottery top four pick. The bad news is, as we've mentioned a million times, it's just a 52% chance What's also bad is OKC of all teams, and this is really bad. OKC is now in great shape to knock them out of the top four because they're moving up, moving up, moving up the worst records in the in the NBA. And that could give the Thunder two picks in the top five and the Rockets are kicked down to where the Miami Heat pick. Oh, yeah. You just ruined my day, Robert. Thanks. Appreciate that. Um yeah, I don't know what much more could go wrong for the Rockets this year than, you know, with all the injuries and, and just the, the the losing, and now you're in position to perhaps lose that top four pick. Uh, you know, if it happens, you, know, you just put another cap on and say, well, that's just the kind of season the Rockets have had. So, so yeah, we got to root against Oklahoma City for what's left of these last few games. I'll just tell you the truth, Robert. I can't wait for the regular season to be over. I mean, if you're a Rockets fan, this is about as brutal. No, it it absolutely is the most brutal Rockets season that that I have witnessed. And I've followed the team since the early 70s. I even followed them right after they traded Moses Malone. And I think they won 14 games that the first year. But even that team, to me, Robert, and it's been a long time ago, I'd have to go back and watch a lot of their games, I guess. I just don't remember it being as brutal as this season has been. I mean, they got everybody's on the injured list, I think, you know, seventy-five percent of the team is out, or because they're 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 using injury exceptions, 
And uh, I want to get in just a second to uh, one of the guys that they brought in because he might be he might be a little bit interesting. We'll see. But um, the most overused phrase during Rockets broadcast this season, and I want to see if you would agree with this. And, you know, you listen to more on the radio, Stephen, than television, but they keep saying there's no quit in this team. There's no quit in this team. That bothers me for two reasons. Number one. How can they quit when most of the team, you know, they need to play well just to stay in the NBA, these players. And think about it. None of us would quit our jobs. Uh, on, on, You know, we wouldn't quit working hard if our job depended on it. And the second part of the, about that phrase I don't like is when you lose by double digits on a nightly basis, how, how do you know that they haven't quit? I don't know. Like, how, how, is, how do you measure that if they're getting killed and slaughtered every single game? <laughs> Yeah. How, how do you measure quit? I mean, they can't quit. They have to go out and play. You know, to me, quitting is I'm going to quit my job. Um, it, it perhaps maybe not putting forth the, the second effort that you need throughout an entire game, perhaps. Yeah. With me living in Austin, Robert, unfortunately, I don't get AT&T Sportsnet. So unless the Rockets are on national television, uh, can't catch the, the TV games very much. So I'm assuming you're saying the TV side is using that phrase a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. My biggest thing was with that is that, that so many double digit losses. Look, I know, you know, they practically had a G league team on the floor for much of the season. I get that, but there have been times when they've had some of their main players in there and they're still losing by double digits. I, I just think a lot of it is they, they get down so early in games that they have to fight back in the second half. That takes a lot of energy. I think we talked about that in a previous podcast, but yeah, going back to your question about no quit, well, at this point in the season, you can't tell me that most of these players are saying, God, let's just get the season over with. They may not be quitting per se, but I'm not exactly sure that they're going out there and kicking butt 100%. I just don't think that's the case. Yeah, they seem to get a little spur in them by the second half. And I don't know if that's the other team just starting to give in a little bit, but I feel like they play much harder in the second half or at least the beginning of the second half. A lot of times, and of course, some games they're in it. And then the third quarter, it turns into a blowout, but there's so many of the games this year where it looks like, you know, did they show up? Did they miss the bus? And then they stink in the first half and they're down by 20, 30 before you know it. And it's not all because of talent. It, it just seems like there's a lev- level of effort and energy specifically on the defensive end. And and that's what I look for is the defensive end. Maybe they, they don't think they're quitting because they're still hustling on the offensive end. But, I mean, I've seen Kevin Porter and Christian Wood and guys like that standing at the other end of the floor after they miss a shot. Sometimes it's about the officiating, but a lot of times it's just they're frustrated that they miss a shot and so they, they're not hustling back. And I don't know. A lot of that stuff bothers me. And one of the things that I, I was getting a little bit excited about a couple of weeks ago on this show was – Armani Brooks, but I don't know. His shooting is down to 36.6% from three, which is about average in today's NBA. The bigger issue with Brooks is how below average he is in every other skill set. Poor passer, poor defender, poor rebounder. No really other attribute, major attribute that he's good at. Plus, he's not getting too many minutes on a roster full of G-leaguers and rookies, so... Maybe I got a little bit ahead of it a couple of weeks ago when I was so, so excited, Stephen, and I thought, well, maybe maybe sign him to a a deal really quickly for three or four years. But eh, I, you know, like one of those like small deals. 
Well, I think you were like most of us, Robert. You're looking for any signs of hope that, you know, somebody in that roster is going to be in the Rockets' future moving forward when they are starting the rebuilding process. <laughs> and and Armani Brooks, I don't look, you know, he's a local guy. You want to root for him. But just being a, a shooting type of player, and if that shot is falling off, it, it's, yeah, it's it's going to be hard for him to maintain that. I mean, if he does stay in the league or with the Rockets, I, I see him more as a bench player than anything else. But, you know, it just it, he's a guy you got to root for, uh, or you want to root for, certainly. But I, I don't know moving forward that that he's going to be in the Rockets' future plans. I feel like, you know, he's going to be a 40, 40 plus percent shooter if he continues to get shots at the NBA because I, I, I can see him getting better. I love his form. It's a really pretty looking shot. I also like the fact that he gets it off pretty quickly. Uh, he has it released where it's over his head, like his, his form release is over his head so he can get it over guys. That all is good, but I also see uh, an issue where because he's not that good of a dribbler, not a good ball handler, you see that, Stephen, where he's having trouble getting loose if somebody's coming at him. He's looking for almost perfect conditions where he's looking for five foot of space, so he'll get you know, in Steph Curry three-point range, five feet behind the line, whereas, hey, try to make it a little easier for yourself. Have a little bit of a dribble, a shot fake, a a sidestep and, and, and that, that he's not good at. Yeah. And that's a, really a big key as far as, you know, having better shooting is making sure you can have the open shot being in position to make those open shots. And that's something that is, is sorely lacking in his game. And I think that that would really in and of itself would be a big step up for him to be a better player. So I talked a little bit earlier about how you have these, you know, G leaguers playing and all the injuries. Well, because of the injuries, they got an injury exception in the last week. And maybe it's too early to tell the injury exception. Kyrie Thomas he might be interesting. He's a recent pickup. Uh, just, you know, a lot more hope for me with his complete game than Armani Brooks. Shooting 40% from three so far. Uh, of course, it's early. A couple of games. But he's averaged four steals. In 28 minutes per game as a rocket, which that's great. I mean, he and he looks like it. He looks like a light years better defender than Armani Brooks. He's got a really good wingspan. He's bigger. He's bigger framed. It looks like he could be more physical with people. And if I'm picking between two guys to sign for a cheap three to four or five year contract, not five, I think four might be the max that they can do. But, you know, like a minimum, you can you know, kind of lock him in for a minimum deal. He's back end. If something happens, maybe he turns into something. It's it's a much easier decision for me to to, to get him under a deal than say uh, Armani. But I'll, I'll take uh, Kyrie Thomas. He's a second round, former second round pick. Yeah, I think it, if, if the Rockets need anything as much as it, it would be hustle and and just on the defensive end. And uh, Kyrie Thomas has certainly looked good so far. Again, another one of those guys you just want to keep your eye on him. See if he can maintain it consistently, and you only got a few games left now, so uh, you don't have a lot much to to look at moving forward. But uh, yep, keep your eyes on Kyrie, as they say, not Kyrie Irving, <laughs> Kyrie Thomas. I think that's all I got. I mean, the Rockets. I don't know what else we can do except you know we're kind of just waiting for the lottery, and that's still a month away or so. I mean, it's 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 a long deal. I, I, one thing we can look forward to this week, which is going to be exciting, is uh, Rudy Tomjanovich finally 
gets into the Hall of Fame. Yeah, I know. We talked about it you know, when it was made official that he would be going in several months ago. But uh, I believe the ceremony's this week. You know, Robert, I was telling you before we started the podcast, I don't normally watch the – I don't think I've ever watched the NBA Hall of Fame ceremonies. I've watched you know, the NFL. I've watched Major League Baseball for many years, their, their Hall of Fame. I may definitely have to check this one out because, hey, I'm as big a rooter for Rudy T as anybody as a Rockets fan. And, yeah, talk about somebody who was underappreciated for years, not only as a player, but I, I don't think he was underappreciated as much as a coach, certainly not from a Rockets standpoint, but from a national standpoint. I think Rudy was one of those guys you kept wondering, well, gosh, is he ever going to get in before he dies? You know, Is he going to be one of those guys? So, thankfully, he got in. He's finally being recognized. So, uh, yeah, I may have to check out that ceremony. Uh, I believe it's later this week. And I think – doesn't NBA TV carry that? Right. And I know some people don't have the NBA TV in their package. So you can, you know, they'll replay it on NBA or they'll put it up on the website, NBA.com. Yeah. So if you, if you don't typically watch it like Steven doesn't, then that's where you can go. You can go to NBA.com. They'll, they'll put the clips up. They should put the full speeches. And the big thing you're going to want to watch, of course, is what's Calvin wearing? Because Calvin's introducing him. And so what what's Calvin going to go with? What's the suit going to be? for the Hall of Fame and of course uh, a lot of conversation about that on the broadcast this week because why would you talk about the games because they're terrible yeah because they're terrible you know and, and talking about Calvin I mean what, what can you think of a more fitting player that's going to represent him than Calvin Murphy I mean the guys were roommates and it just it always interested me just the stories that I heard over the years about those two guys and just the camaraderie and the, the just the the friendship that developed between those two, man, it's just, it's always exciting to hear about stuff like that. So yeah, very appropriate and very happy for Rudy T. Before I get out of here, I, I want to remind everybody one more time that I'll put up uh, the podcast this week with Nico Collins and an expert that kind of breaks that whole draft choice down and what the Texans got with him, the wide receiver, and then also Garrett Wallow. So those two guys that they, they spent six draft picks on those two guys and we're going to have more on them this week so look for that you can always reach us of course on twitter facebook uh, or email info at houstonsportstalk.net that's info at houstonsportstalk.net and i i don't do this a ton but you know this is uh free stuff for you so if you want to go to the website houstonsportstalk.net and there's a little link there at the top right where you can eh, you can throw us a little money. It's it's real easy to do. Uh, you can donate. We don't care if it's a dollar. It just help us out with the cost of the podcast. Uh, we, we would thank you so much for doing that. In the meantime, until our next podcast, stay healthy and safe, everybody. You're listening to Houston Sports Talk. Don't forget to follow Houston Sports Talk on Facebook and Twitter. Subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, the Google Podcast app, or the Stitcher app. You can support us by giving us a five-star review on iTunes or by telling your friends about us. Spread the word, everybody. Thanks for listening.